The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Good Sunday to you. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with hosts Bruce and Peg. They call it the sandwich generation. People taking care of aging parents and older children at the same time. Bruce and Peg have lots of good advice on this topic. You can text and call us today on our studio line, 651-989-9226. All week, ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6ADVICE or email your money at wealthenhancement.com. Here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. And Bruce, happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you, Rashid. Happy Hi. Father's Hi. Day, Bruce. <laughs> thank you, ladies. That's very nice. And hello to both of you. It's always great to be with you. I look forward to this. And yeah, uh, I, I've got uh, my son who lives in town surprised me, called me up on Friday and said, uh, what are you doing this weekend? I said, well, I don't know. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. He goes, well, I thought we might hang out on Sunday, maybe get together and watch a movie and have dinner. So uh, later today, I'll be spending some quality time with my son. So thank you, ladies, for uh, bringing that up. I'd kind of forgotten it was Father's Day. Yes, it is your day today, Bruce. <laughs> well, some would argue every day is my day. So <laughs> I don't know if this, today's any any different. So, But thank you. Hey, Rashini, that was a great lead-in. And, Peg, this is a great topic that we talk about a lot, the so-called sandwich generation. And we're talking about Father's Day. And the, the topic today is helping our adult children, and I'll add to that title, that may not yet be fully launched for any number of reasons. But I think every generation finds it harder to get started in this world. I think if you go back to our parents and our grandparents and you could buy a house for, I don't know, $10,000 or less, and you compare that to what houses cost today and what cars cost today and just how things have gotten more expensive and how things have changed and how this younger generation might have bigger financial challenges out of the gate, whether it's student loans or, or whatever. So the sandwich generation that Rashini referred to as baby boomers or, or peg people of approximately our age, maybe, you know, a decade older or younger in either direction, but We've got aging parents that maybe need our help, financial and otherwise, but we've also got these adult children that just can't be quite self-sufficient yet, and today we want to focus on that. How do we help our kids be financially independent and self-sufficient? Yeah, some of the things we're going to talk about today um, in reviewing the outline look like uh, because it's that time of year, too, that people are graduating from high school and kind of launching those uh, kids. And then some of the outline is about uh, the kids are already on their feet and they need some financial help. So 
And some of the outline is very generic in the first topic is discussing a financial plan with your children. So one of the things, uh, and it is Father's Day, but one of the things that a mother or a father can give to their children as a gift is explaining how money really works in our society. And I think there's some confusion sometimes with children that it does grow on trees. And <laughs> one of the things that happens is, is depending on your financial means and how you were able to support those children when they were in high school, they ten- tend to think that they can launch on their own and stay at that caliber, you know, and have that free-flowing money. So we encourage our clients, if they do have children, that they launch these children with a good idea of what a financial plan is and that it, that you're probably going to be better off if you have one. So many children um, have never had a budget. I know, Bruce, sometimes um, I've got two, uh, my sister who's older than me and my brother who's younger than me, um, and I'm right in the middle, they both are in the school system. So I hear a lot that they don't get to spend a lot of time on teaching kids budgets and and where their money should be saved and and how to save. And and sometimes there's an argument that the parents should do that, and sometimes there's an argument that the teachers should do that. I think it's kind of a balance of both. But my point being here is there's a lot of education that can be done with children especially when they launch, I think it's just uh, a good starting point. If you get them on the right track, uh, what a difference that makes long-term. Well, I love and I agree with everything you just said. And the only thing I want to maybe jump on that thread a little bit with is um, I I love what you said about how your kids have a certain lifestyle or a certain expectation, and they think that's how it always was. Peg, you and I have talked many times Neither one of us came from a wealthy family, and I, I think it's fair to say that we've been very blessed in our careers that we have you know, a certain um, uh, financial rewards uh, of being in our industry that we've been able to provide you know, nice lifestyles for our family. But it wasn't always that way. When we were young and first getting started, you know, we were paycheck to paycheck, counting every penny, can we afford to order a pizza tonight or not is that in the budget and my kids didn't experience any of that they just hear my you know old old stories and tease me about it so there is this sense of you know expectation that i'll have the same lifestyle in my 20s that i had growing up with my parents and i think communication is the key you you have to talk to kids about money and explain i think as a society unfortunately and probably uh, incorrectly, we don't talk about money. It's like a taboo subject that you're not supposed to talk about. And yes, maybe you don't want to be out there telling your neighbors how much money you make or what you just bought, but to communicate to your kids your financial situation and the lessons that they can learn to help them, I think is just essential to their success. And it doesn't matter the age. We can talk about these financial lessons and they could be 8, 10, 12 years old, or they could be 20-something just launching. And I still think you have to have open communication with them. If they need help, will you help them? How much help can you provide? 
what what was life like when you were in your 20s because they've only known you when you've been older and more financially successful all that stuff matters but if i were going to take all that and condense it into one word i would just say communication yes yes i think communication is key and i would say in my household when i grew up we didn't talk about money and excuse me and one of the the big rants that i have is now that i understand compounding interest we had a little bit where we had that um savings book and you would put some money in the bank and you'd walk in and you'd give your money and then they they literally i think now i'm really showing my age but they really they actually typed in my book you know how much i put in and then you'd get the book back do you remember this bruce yeah and 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 at that time, I look back now, and if someone had given me the education of just compounding interest. Now, at that point, I could see that I was getting interest on my savings, but I didn't understand that the more you save, the more it compounds, the more that you actually need it to compound to be able to afford things you know, down the road. So um, I've, I've often said on this show is if we would just teach our children as soon as they understand words, you know, and almost kind of brainwash them into understanding compounding money, then our entire society would be better off today than it, than it is. Because I think we wait way too long uh, to teach these kids about saving. Yeah, it's funny. You really struck a chord with me there, Peg. I, I remember my bank book and my my deposit account at the bank and I at a at a at a certain age, I think when I first opened my account, I think my parents helped me do it with like I don't know if it was birthday money or what it was, but I, I have in my head that my first deposit was eighteen dollars and fifty cents. But then when you get the updates and it would get bigger, I remember being just fascinated that I had more money and I didn't do anything, that my money was earning more money and it took me a long time to actually understand that concept and then when i was 11 i got my uh, first job working in the field detasseling corn and i I think i had a summer where i had you know a couple hundred dollars that i made which seemed like a fortune to me at 11 years old and that went in the bank and now it, it grows even more so you add to it and it grows even faster that's the idea of compounding or for for people listening you know a hundred dollars it makes 5% in a year, makes $5. But now after a year, if it's $105 and it makes 5, 5% again, that's $5.25. You have this compounding effect and time is on your side. And we actually talked about this last week. I think most people just don't understand the concept of compounding money. Yeah, it's it's so important. And, and if if you do, if you are listening and you have children or you have grandchildren, uh, make a point um, of trying to teach them that. And if they do have a part-time job or something where they could actually start saving some money, uh, get them to, to start. Uh, in, in if you explain about compounding money, <clears throat> just like you were, Bruce, you were enthusiastic about learning about it, I think these kids would be too. We talked a little bit about supporting your children um, in in maybe the means that you had or teaching them that when you launch, you don't actually get to take the parent's checkbook with you, right? You don't get to have unlimited 
uh, resources, it took probably your parents five or six decades to get to where they are today. So uh, kind of aiming to just, uh, it, well, you said it, Bruce, communication. So you have to have really clear um, expectations for these kids, what they're actually going to get. And I find too, Bruce, and we're talking about kids that are 18, maybe going off to college, they're now actually going to meet other kids that they've not met before. And sometimes, you know, um, you may live in a smaller town. Um, you may not have access to, you know, people who have a lot of wealth. But then all of a sudden when they go to college, then they've got all sorts of new people that they meet. So it's not just maybe one conversation when they're launching, but it's probably an ongoing conversation about, you know, how much it's going to cost for tuition and how much rent is. And um, you're going to probably meet people that actually get, actually, um, this happened to, to my daughter. She went to college and then, you know, one of her roommates got to call a secretary and just ask for money because they were just a tr- tr- like a very wealthy family. And she had no concept that that was even a possibility. So, I, you know, I had to sit her down and talk to her about, yes, some people get to go shopping and it's unlimited. And this is the quote I always told my children. There will always be people better off than you. And there always will be people that are less fortunate than you. And you've got to be okay with that. And you need to build your own life, you know. Um, and so... Bruce, that was just some uh, encouragement that I gave them when they were younger so that they wouldn't be confused, you know, why does this person have more and why does this person have less? Yeah, that's that's just, you know, that's great parenting. That's not just being a financial advisor, Peg. That's great parenting. And, and to that point, they can experience people that have way more, like your daughter did, but also they can experience people that have less. And, and that's a reward in and of itself. And, I, you know, and I, whenever we have a topic like this, I think if we can personalize it or give examples to, to drive home the point, it's, it's more effective. And I'll probably get emotional telling the story. I've told it on the air before. One of my most gratifying, rewarding moments as a parent, so we are blessed that we have the economic wherewithal to pay for our kids' education. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people trying to launch is those student loans, the cost of getting that education. Well, the gift we were able to give our children is they didn't have that albatross around their neck. We were able to pay for their college. And I remember a specific moment uh, down visiting my daughter when she was still a student at Iowa State, and we'd done all the things you do when you visit, took her shopping and stocked her up with groceries and things she needed and went out to dinner. And at dinner, I remember distinctly she reached across the table and she took my hand, and she said, thank you, Daddy. I realize what a gift this is that you've given me because almost all her friends had student loans and were going to leave college with debt, and she was not. And I think it really hit her. I think not that she took it for granted before that, but I think meeting other people and seeing where they were in this world and how fortunate she was really gave her a sense of appreciation. And my kids, you know, knock on wood, uh, are, are launched. They're, they're off my payroll. They're, they're, they're self-sufficient and they're both doing well. And I think a lot of that was because of the communication that, that we had when they were younger and the lessons that they've learned. 
Yeah, and I think too, Bruce, we were fortunate in that we were in the financial business and were uh, familiar with methods and ways that we could save for that higher education. Uh, one consideration, and I did it, was the 529 plan. Right when that came out, to me, anything when I, when I hear the words tax-free in any form, I tend to investigate it and want to know all about it. And, and I implemented it personally, um, you know, for my kids. And, and th- I didn't know at the time that there would be such a, a rise in the cost of tuition. I mean, I did know that when I went to college, what that cost, and then when my kids went to college, what that cost. But yet, even while they were going to school, how the, dr- the just the the dramatic increase in cost. So we encourage people, and you've heard us before, talk about preparing for that day in the higher education. And I think that goes hand in hand with uh, just life in general. So I said, you know, this outline is a lot about launching these high school kids um, and taking care of those adult children and getting them launched uh, where you did a great job, Bruce, where you feel like, okay, they're on their own now. Well, it all comes back, though, right? Because they're going to have times in their life that they may lean on you. They actually might uh, provide you with grandchildren. And so one day when those grandchildren come, there's somewhat of a expectation, too, you know, of uh, taking care of those grandchildren. Maybe you can help them out. And maybe here's where that financial uh, assistance comes in in researching a 529 for for those grandchildren, because as I talked about earlier, this compounding interest, that also works wonderfully if you have a zero-year-old and you start a college plan and you've got 18 years, you know, to prepare for it is a lot easier than coming up to that date and go, okay, I need to find this money now. Yeah, and and you and I, neither of us, (laughs) yes, have been blessed with grandchildren, but we both have many, 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 many clients who have been. So we understand that grandma and grandpa and grandchildren, you know, the the joke that many of my clients, their grandparents have said, boy, if I had known being a grandparent was so great, I would have done that first or something to that effect. So there is going to be a desire to want to help spoil that grandchild. And again, that's an opportunity where maybe your kids were doing okay, but now they have a kid and now that adds a financial strain to them. And, and now is an opportunity that you can help. And, you know, when I talked about paying for college, I, I want to go back to that for just a second, Peg, because I can envision a lot of listeners going, oh, hoity-toity, oh, isn't he, uh, we can't afford that. I recognize that not everybody listening is going to have the economic wherewithal to fully pay for their kids' education. And that doesn't make you bad people, bad parents. It's just the way it is because of the cost of college. I get that. So, you do what you can and you plan in advance, and that's what this all really comes back to. We started our discussion telling, uh, uh, talking to our kids about their financial plan. Well, Peg, you and I both know most people out there don't have a financial plan, and they're reactive to life. They're reactive when something happens. They, they have a baby, and they go, oh, my gosh, our costs went way up, formula and diapers and baby clothes and, and, and daycare. Who knew this was so expensive? But if you're proactive and you have a plan of what you're going to do, how you're going to save, how you're going to invest, how you're going to pay for things when you get there, your chances of success just go up so 
astronomically that it always befuddles me why most Americans don't have a financial plan, but they don't and they should. Yeah, and I'll go back, Bruce, to my big rant about just the education system and trying to um, educate children from the time they can talk to that this is what money means and this is what it can do for you, it can do for your family, you can see in the future, all of that. But the parents are responsible as well. So I don't want to just put it on the school system, but the parents are responsible and sometimes it's monkey see, monkey do, right? And so if you're not good with your money and the children are watching that, believe me, they will just, you know, mirror image what you've done um, in a lot of circumstances. So if you feel like you're not great at money, then maybe you get help for your children, you know, at an early age and make sure they're educated around it. Um, Rashini, how are we doing on time? We are kind of coming up tight here. Let's uh, remind people of the number, 651-989-9226. You can call and text us. We do have some questions coming in already on the text line. Also, we will introduce our special Ask the Roundtable. It's a new feature on the Your Money page online. So just another way you can keep in touch with Peg and Bruce during the week. Get your questions in, and we will get them answered every every Sunday. But, But, Bruce, this is such an important topic that I'm guessing you and Peg will be very candid with people today as they have questions. Yeah, we always are. And even sometimes if it's not what people want to hear, it's better that they hear the truth. So, yeah, we will be candid. All right. Let's uh, take a quick break. And then when we come back, more Your Money, 651-989-9226. Again, you can call that number. You can text that number. We're talking about the sandwich generation. Very important topic. Bruce and Peg will have answers. We are back. Rashini Rajkumar along with the host of Your Money, Bruce and Peg. We're talking the sandwich generation. And Peg and Bruce, I know we have a lot of questions coming in today, but this text really hits at the matter you're talking about. This listener says, no matter how much I try to talk to my son about finance and experience, he defers to Google search, finds what he wants. Oh, well, at least it opens the door to the discussion, kind of. <laughs> um Peg, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what to say. How do you, um, how do you get people to listen that don't want to listen? And, you know, maybe we broaden it. I understand what the texture is saying, but, you know, we encounter this sometimes in our practice. Maybe a couple comes in and one or, one or the other, the husband or the wife really wants to engage a financial advisor, but the other one maybe doesn't. And, um, or, or, of them are not sure how do how do you persuade people to do what's best for themselves when they're reluctant to do it yeah i think this is i was actually really smiling when she was reading this uh because what happens is and, and i'll just talk about children and their parents first is um a lot of times when the Number one, the parents make recommendations to the children. They pretty much learn how to turn their ears off very quickly when the parent talks, right? So right. I think I, I think what um, what the texter 
is saying is is she's making suggestions and then pretty much going on the Google search to see if she even knows anything about anything, right? <laughs> and there's this time as a parent and all of you listening know that there is a point in time that that happens. The great news is, is these kids come around and they actually come back to you for advice one day. And that is just the best ever when that happens. So um, I don't think it's a problem, you know, for that child to go do a Google search and then, you know, uh, read up on, at least you promise, or you, you know, you prompted them to go research something maybe that they wouldn't have otherwise done. So then Bruce, you also brought up, we deal with this every day where, you know, there may be a couple and one is, is well-versed on finances or maybe thinks they are. And then the other one actually, you know, does, has no interest at all. And uh, what we try to do is just unite that couple in education. So first, just educating what they need to know to make good decisions when it comes to finances. And then most people, Bruce, come to us uh, in regards to retirement. You know, am I prepared? You know, have I, have I done the groundwork to, to launch and be able to retire one day? And so just to walk through with them and show them in many, many, in almost all cases, they've done a lot of good things to get ready, but then we complement that with strategies and things that we know because we've, uh, we've worked with people for so many years on preparing for retirement that we then educate them around other ideas that maybe they haven't thought of. So Bruce, it's all about the communication once again uh, you know, and, and kind of bringing up the confidence in someone. And I think, too, I just thought of this, how you direct your children or somebody that you know to go do something, you almost have to be super clever in how you get them to do it, right? Because if you say, well, you should do this. Um, one of the lines that I use a lot, Bruce, in my career, and it's actually worked really well, is w- this is what I would say to the child. Would you be willing to learn about, you know, how to prepare yourself? Or would you be willing to listen to me for a moment on something that I could help you with? So that line right there, Bruce, is asking for that person's permission uh, to, to talk to you about something. And it's amazing how that works, where people open their mind when you start the sentence with, "Will you? are you willing versus go do this? You know, one of, one of the great things about doing the show is oftentimes we get insights, Peg, into your, um, your, you being an advisor for your clients. And it's such a treat for me because I know how, what a great advisor you are, but sometimes I don't know all the little things that you do in those client meetings that are part of the reason that you're so good. And that, that, that's a great piece of advice, not just for advisors, but for anybody. Someone's going to be way more willing to listen if you ask them first, do you want to listen? Because if you don't want to listen, I'm not going to waste your time and my time trying to explain something to you. So that that's just brilliant. And to the point about, you know, kids not wanting to listen to parents, you know, I'm very blessed that my kids actually do listen to me. And not just about money. Obviously, being a financial advisor, they understand I know about that. But I'm very fortunate that they've always sort of sought my advice and counsel at pretty much every age except in the area of technology, 
then I go to them and ask them questions because I'm a technological uh, buffoon. But so, you know, I, I'm fortunate that, that, that my kids do listen. Uh, but that that asking for permission uh, to explain something or, or will you listen is just brilliant. And then finally, this is off the point of the question, Rashini and Peg, but this is where my brain went. So this idea of a Google search or using the Internet, using the technological tools that we all have available to us today is is good. I want everyone to get financially educated. The problem is in the two-edged sword that you have to be careful of is there's a lot of information out there, frankly, that's bad or wrong. And how do you know whether it's something you should listen to or not? Because some of the information the people disseminating that information have an ulterior motive. They're trying to get you to do something that's good for them that might not be good for you. And how do you know the difference? If you're not a financial advisor, if you're a layperson, how do you know what to believe and what not to believe? And that's where it gets tricky. And you have to see what the source of the information is and might they have another motivation. And it gets back again to, you know, most people are going to benefit from using a financial advisor to sift through that information and determine what's appropriate or relevant for you and what isn't. Because a lot of this information is also generic, and and it may differ from person to person. So, yes, I want people to be financially educated, but it's still tough by yourself to know what's good for you and what's right for you without getting some professional guidance. All right, Peg and Bruce, let's go to uh, a special feature newly added to the Your Money page online. It's called Ask the Roundtable. People can obviously connect with you during the week, Your Money at wealthenhancement.com. Here's a question from Jackie. Jackie says, I've had long-term insurance since 2012. 62 years old, I'm trying to determine the best decision for me following the notice I received regarding a premium increase. My options, one, maintain the current coverage at a premium increase of $43 more per quarter, two, reduce my coverage and maintain my current premiums, or three, I can stop paying premiums and take the forfeiture, non-forfeiture benefit. I was also informed that my premiums will be increasing in the future. I'm comfortable with the current premium. I'm thinking about taking the reduced amount or taking the non-forfeiture benefit. In your opinion, what would you do in a perfect situation? Thanks, Rashidi, and, and uh, thanks to Jackie for uh, sending that in. Peg, we've actually talked about this recently, um, long-term care premiums going up. You decided to get long-term care insurance. It was affordable. Maybe your financial advisor did a future value forecast to determine you could afford this insurance without detracting from your lifestyle, and now your premium goes up. And this, In Jackie's case, 172 bucks a year, which may be – significant based on her budget and they're telling her it's going to go up again how do you decide what to do yeah unfortunately bruce we have a lot of experience with this with our own clients and actually our personal own policies where uh long-term care insurance you know like any insurance is priced at the time that they create these policies and actuarially they have to use some estimates you know, how many claims are they going to be made and, and uh, you know, how many people are going to drop the policy eventually. And bottom line is they were all wrong. 
meaning years ago they thought lots of people would drop the policy and they didn't have any idea that interest rates were going to be super low and um, health insurance or health costs in general were going to be super high. And so all of that was just the wrong formula at the time. But um, so I don't know if it's, it's, it's comforting, but everybody out there is getting notices or have had notices like this. Uh, what we've suggested to clients is if you can afford to keep all the bells and whistles that you originally purchased with your contract, and bells and whistles are the features and benefits that you get with your contracts. Uh, contract is when you make a claim, how much you get, how, mu- how many dollars do you have available to you over your lifetime. Um, I, I highly encourage people to uh, keep everything that they had if they can afford to. And Bruce, you mentioned a financial forecast. You know, we'll, we'll tell our clients if, if they can afford, you know, the extra premium. Then secondly, it's seldom makes sense to drop that policy altogether. Now, number three um, that they talked about with this non-forfeiture benefit, at least the insurance company in many cases, not all, they're paying you the premiums that you put in. They're willing to give you that um, dollar amount either in um, benefits, meaning that if you do have a long-term care event that you can at least use that money or they're returning those um, premiums in in a few cases, not many. So it doesn't make sense to me to drop it. But the second choice has worked for some as well, where you lessen the benefit and then keep the same payments. What I've done, Bruce, is, is take a deeper dive into the family. If it's a husband and wife and they both have long-term care, they typically bought it with from the same insurance company. Um, they actually individually can choose one, two, or three. And in many cases, I've had one take number one, keep all the bells and whistles, and then have one uh, lessen the premiums. Um, so it is kind of a mix and match thing, but that's the beauty of us having our arms around our clients is we can coach them based on their family dynamics, their health. Uh, yes, believe it, all listeners, our, our clients do divulge how they're feeling, right, and how their health is and what their history of health is. And all of that helps us make such a better calculated decision uh, for their family with a higher probability um, that we might be right if you share as much as you can uh, to your financial advisor. Peg, that was brilliant, comprehensive, and thorough. I got nothing to add to that. Uh yeah, all right. So kind of related to this, people are really interested in long-term care. One person really quickly says, my long-term care increase is $2,000. Jackie is lucky at the price she mentioned. All right, this person says, I'm a single, have never been married, no kids, 56. Do I need long-term care? And if I do, what plans do you recommend? And are there cheaper plans that are good out there? Well, that's a great question. So, Peg, uh, talk a little bit about the, the motivations to, to, to ensure that risk rather than paying for it out of your own pocket. Cause, uh, never, never married, never kids. I would certainly think that person probably has less motivation that's than someone married with children that wants to leave a legacy to loved ones. 
Yeah, um, but I somewhat disagree because a lot of times I see myself and why was I motivated to buy long-term care? Even though I am married, um, I, I was motivated because it, being a financial advisor for all this time, I, I've been just really brainwashed and believe it that women tend to live longer. So I've always pictured myself, and it's not always true, not always true, but I've always pictured myself being the one who lives the longest. And yes, I do have children, and I and 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 the thought that they would want to take care of me just frightens me, right? I'm just like, they are not going to want to leave their life and come and take care of me. So my motivation was to buy it so that I would pick up the phone and get the help that I wanted at that time in my life. So being single, I see this person as identical to me, meaning that's kind of how I pictured myself. And a motivation might be who is going to take care of you. And I feel like we've witnessed, Bruce, that when you have long-term care insurance, you do pick up the phone and you get that in-home health care or you get that place to stay and um, and you feel like you're you're not overwhelmed with the fact that maybe you don't, you know, you're going to run out of money before you run out of time. And a lot of the, the women out there and maybe the men too, you know, I still have this image of the bag lady, you know, that's under the bridge that has no money. And that is actually one of the images that kind of drove me to being a financial advisor and helping people, you know, not have that fear that they're going to run out of money before they run out of time. No, we actually don't disagree, Peg. I, there's a lot of different motivations for long-term care, and, and leaving a, a legacy assets for loved ones might be one of them, but you just uh, very eloquently explained another one, um, and there's others. Maybe it's uh, quality of care. Maybe if you don't have insurance and you have to pay for it out of pocket, you're going to get a different level of care than if you've transferred that risk to a multi-billion dollar insurance company. So uh, to, to, to Jackie and to uh, you know everyone else uh, uh, that has questions about long-term care, this 56-year-old never married, no kids, it, it, if it's a good idea or not, really depends upon your priorities. And one of the reasons, and this is kind of what I think Peg was saying is, a lot of my clients that get long-term care, their motivation is they don't want to be a burden on anybody, their children or anybody else. So long-term care insurance helps make sure that they're not going to be a burden if that's a priority. It's not for everybody, but it might be for some people. So you have to ask yourself you know, what your priorities are in life, legacy planning or not being a burden. Those are good reasons to go maybe buy long-term care insurance, even though you, um, you don't have kids. Maybe you have nieces and nephews or other loved ones that you want to leave a legacy to. So you have to ask yourself what's important to you, and that will help lead to the right decision. All right, Peg and Bruce, we have another question from the Ask the Roundtable, a new feature on the Your Money page online. This person says, someone who became unemployed this year has $200,000 in retirement, had to take a job with much less pay, is struggling with paying his home mortgage. 
His financial advisor moved 100,000 of those dollars to something that he says he would be able to use if he needed it. Not sure about what he plans uh, that he has. He is 55 years old. He's struggling. He would like to pay his house off so he doesn't have to worry about his mortgage and use that 100,000 for that. What are the pros and cons? Well, thanks for seeing Peg. Unfortunately, because of COVID, this happened to, you know, a lot of people out there or something like this, including maybe some of our listeners. Um, uh, I'll let you go first. What would you tell, uh, Pat or, uh, the, the writer of this question? Yes. Uh, what came top of mind is, you know, of course a pro is there's no month more monthly payment. If you pay it off, then you've got less monthly obligations and that's a good feeling. The, um, the only thing I think of in this situation is, you know, if you do pay it off, then you're kind of leaving yourself with less flexibility, meaning I might encourage this person to not pay it off, make the payments out of that $100,000, because a con would be you'd have that less liquidity, and then if something really did happen, like an unexpected crisis, you may want that liquidity still in your bank. So I'm not saying that long-term you would never pay it off, but just in this moment, I would probably pause. Yeah, I agree with you, Peg. And, and again, you and I um, don't always see this exactly the same, this question of uh, efficient debt or, or cheap money. Um, you've, you've stated many times on this show, and I agree, that your most successful clients pay off their debt and they're debt-free And I've talked about it depends upon the cost of the debt. And usually mortgages, the interest rate is low. You might still be deducting that interest on your tax return. And it's debt on an appreciating asset, so I don't mind that debt. You'll come right back and say, yeah, but my most successful clients pay it off. And I agree. But in this case, I also agree with you. This person is in a a, uh, situation where they're struggling financially to take a whole bunch of capital to pay off their house and now not have that capital available, um, I think makes their situation even more vulnerable than if they've got some safety net of money that they can use for lifestyle. And the only part of Pat's question that, you know, that I'm not clear on is, uh, Pat says there was 200,000 in a retirement plan, but they're able to move 100,000 someplace where they could use it, but Pat is 55. So I don't know what that something else is. And if there's a tax consequence and what that tax consequence is, and that's the other thing you have to factor in, if I'm going to pay off my mortgage, not only do I have the lost opportunity cost of whatever the rate of return was on that investment, but now if I've got to pay considerable taxes to use that money to pay off my mortgage, that might be a huge mistake. I'm with you, Peg. I doubt if I would recommend that. All right, lots of great advice, and of course, uh, we are running up against the clock, Peg and Bruce. Great information today. As always, Peg and Bruce are very candid with their responses. And if we didn't get to your question today, you can connect with them during the week. Call 888-6ADVICE or email yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. Also remember the Ask the Roundtable feature. It's new on the Your Money page online. So lots of ways that you can connect with Peg and Bruce, get your questions answered. And then, of course, we'll be back with Your Money next Sunday, same time, same place. Meantime, until then, Bruce, I hope you have a really great Father's Day. Thanks, Rashini. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Happy Father's Day, all, all the dads out there.
All right. We'll be back next Sunday. Make it a great and safe and healthy week. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey, Inc.